Good morning and welcome to each of you as you've come to worship the Lord today. And if you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and invite you to continue coming. And we would love nothing more than for you to feel so much at home among us that you want to make this uh, your church home. We'd be delighted for that to happen. Um, several announcements to you today or for you today. Children are reminded of their activities tonight, including the uh, first through fifth grade handbell group and the children's programs as usual. Uh, please visit the Relay for Life table in the back uh, to see how you can support the mission kids in their spring mission project to support the American Cancer Society. Over the next several weeks, our mission kids will be selling cupcakes for the cure among other Relay for Life fundraising items. Come see us. And the cupcakes went that away. I saw them. They're back there somewhere. Um, join us for another Memorial Family Fun Day outing. This time we're going to the Greenville Drive baseball game. Mark your calendars for Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, May the 20th, and reserve your tickets now on the sign-up sheet right inside the gym doors in the Family Life Center. Tickets are $7 each, and the game starts at 4.05 p.m. See Katie Jeter or Wayne and Christy Morris with questions or for more information. Let's see, a few more announcements. Um, the flowers on our altar today are placed to the glory of God by Don and Karen Paget in honor of the marriage of their daughter Jennifer to Stephan uh, winter yesterday in the Drummond Chapel upstairs. So we celebrate that and thank them for leaving those flowers here. Got a call late yesterday telling me that um, Marilyn Haas's husband, Mike, <coughs> had passed away yesterday morning. Uh, he'd had a fairly lengthy battle with cancer. Probably the funeral is to be on Wednesday, but you'll need to check the paper or uh, check with the church between now and then, uh, but our thoughts and prayers certainly are extended to her uh, in these days. Toby Wright is back in the hospital at um, uh, Greer Hospital. He's been at the cottages, but he has checked back into the hospital to get some medicine changed and worked out, um, and so please remember him also in your prayers. We have an announcement this morning, uh, a continuing story of uh, Ralph Johnson and his uh, parable of the talents. Uh, let me invite Sarah Catherine Lee to come and share a few words with us about what she's doing in this uh, parable of the talents work. <clears throat> parable of the talents challenge I'll be selling homemade birdhouses and pepper and tomato seedlings next Sunday after the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services. I will have birdhouses in a lot of different colors and in a lot of and they will be $20 each. The seedlings will be eight weeks old and be ready to plant in your gardens they, and they will be $2 each. All the money I make will be donated to the church. Thank you. Let's see that third house there. That's all right. So uh, thank you for that. That's wonderful. <laughs> we have all kind of children activities going on now that's uh, supported the uh, uh, parable of the talents uh, to, to support the church, and we appreciate what Sarah Catherine is also doing. I think that's the end of all the announcements. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
us remain standing as we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. And this time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join um, a very sunburned Jessica Krim for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Okay, I have a question for you. Have you ever had someone tell you something that's just so crazy or outrageous that you, there's just no way you could believe it unless you saw it? Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Tell you something kind of out, out of control? You, you're five. Six. Five. I know. I know. Okay. All right. Well, I have something to tell you. I want to see if you believe me. I can take these two paper clips and I can connect them without using my hand. Now, right now, they're, two, they're separate, right? I can do this without using my hands. Do you think I can do it? you believe me? Some of you believe me, some of you don't. You want to see it, right, Andrew? You say, yeah, right, Miss Jessica, you can't do that. All right, I need Sarah Catherine's help. Can you hold my microphone? All right. Now, I am going to use a dollar bill, though. Have you ever seen this trick before? All right, get ready. This will impress your friends this week at school. Connect this paper clip right here. It's right here. All right, now you think it's gonna work? Think it's gonna work? All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Ta da! <laughs> so, did it work, Andrew? Yes, and this is a lot like our story in the Bible. Because after Jesus was crucified, all the disciples met in a locked room. And they were talking amongst themselves, and guess who appeared to them? Who came and saw them? Jesus. But there was only there was one disciple was missing. Who was that? Do you know? Thomas. That's right, Julia. Thomas was missing. And when the disciples went and told them, they said, we've seen Jesus. Thomas said, mm -mm, I don't believe it unless I see Jesus myself and touch the wounds that were created. I, I don't believe it. So then later, another day, the disciples were all together, and Thomas was with them, and guess who appeared again? Jesus. Jesus. And this time, Thomas got to see the wounds in his hand and his feet and his side. And do you think he believed after that? Yes. However, when Jesus, after Jesus saw Thomas, he said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So it's good that we have our strong faith as Christians. Let's say a quick prayer, and if you'll repeat after me. Dear Father, help us to believe in our heart the truths we find in your holy word. Even though we have not seen them with our own eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Our first lesson today is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. This is a statement about the early church. <clears throat> All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 133. It is in your hymnal on page 850. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage responsively. Behold how good and pleasant it is when we live together in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Epistle reading is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at with, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. It is always good news for us when we come here to your house, Lord, to hear of your love and grace and mercy. And it is our pleasure to offer our worship and praise as we join this choir in saying, worthy is the Lamb to receive all honor and power and glory. And we're thankful for this. Lord, we are grateful that you come to us in our lives here on earth and you challenge us to rise above whatever uh, ways we've lived in the past, to repent and turn from sin and to follow Jesus in our daily lives. <clears throat> and we are willing to do that and are happy to do that because we have felt your love. But we recognize that as we walk along this journey of life, many times we still fall into various troubles and various temptations. How wonderful it is to know that your patience for us does not wear out, that your love for us does not run out, but that you're willing to cleanse us again and again from our unrighteousness, and you're help, able to help us grow. And indeed, we see how very much you are our heavenly parent, because how like a parent you are to give us your instruction and then to show us your love and patience, even when we fail to live up to your instructions. We pray, Lord, that as we travel the journey of faith and the journey of discipleship with Jesus, that as time passes, we might grow more fully into his likeness and that we might remember that God is goodness and light and we are called into that kind of life. We pray your help as we would grow into your likeness, Heavenly Father. Lord, your goodness and your faithfulness to us is so wonderful. We experience your love and grace when we're in the hospitals or at home sick. We experience your encouragement through a brother and sister in Christ. We experience your presence as we feel ourselves lifted up through the words of a song or the singing of a hymn. It is truly wonderful that we have this time together and are reminded of your love for us and of the importance that we have in following Jesus. These are our prayers this day <clears throat> through Christ our Lord who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <clears throat> thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. <clears throat> Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> Let us now worship God by giving. <coughs>
If you see a moving van at the parsonage this week, don't panic. I'm not leaving for Panama or somewhere or running off. Um, uh, we are hoping to get most of our things moved on out soon so that uh, trustees and parsons committee can have free access to, the, to do some um, maintenance that has to happen when there's a change in pastor. You all have um, uh, chosen Norman West uh, through your process to be chairman of the Parsons Committee, and I was pleased because Norman, I watched him get the Parsons ready for the Holtz when we got here eight years ago, and I knew he will do, would do that again, and our trustees are also working hard. This last week, uh, I had a wonderful, consoling experience. I was with Harriet and George Strait when George was at the hospital for some procedure and all the family was there and I don't feel so bad now about what's happened at the parsonage while the Holtz have lived there. Because their son Elliot said, oh yeah, I slid in the hall one day playing with a ball and kicked a hole in the wall with my elbow. And then he said, if that's not bad enough, said daddy fell through the ceiling twice. So. If George Strait can fall through the ceiling of the parsonage and y'all still love him, we'll, uh, we'll hope you can live with what the Holtz have done. But I trust George is doing well. That's great. Okay, our gospel reading today is from the 20th chapter of John, verses 19 through 31. It's a story that's already been referred to, but it's our gospel lesson for today and certainly a beautiful passage. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If, any, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other, disciple, other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side I will not believe it a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them though the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and then he said to Thomas put your finger here see my hands Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. When Jesus, then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here ends the lesson. Twilight is a very interesting time of day between daytime and nighttime. The sun is either just come up in the east in the very early morning or it's just set in the west. And suddenly it's not as bright as it has been all day. But there's still enough light out there to accomplish many things. It will be so dark at night that our outside activities will require strong electrical lights. But you will remember back in the first century A.D. there were no such strong electrical lights. Indeed, in my grandfather's home, there was neither indoor plumbing nor electrical lights, uh, as he didn't see the need. Uh, but 
back in the early days of the church, when it was dark at nighttime, it was a time to stay indoors for safety. Uh, those who would be creeping about at night were usually people that were up to no good, thieves, robbers, revolutionaries. Jesus said this way about darkness at night. Men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And of course, he was speaking symbolically of darkness and light as well. In that ancient world, light and darkness were often used as symbols for good and evil. And we see this idea very often in Scripture. In the words of 1 John that we read much earlier today, John draws a picture of a place that we live our lives. And I'm calling that place twilight today because our lives are not dark as evil, but neither are we totally always in the light of perfection. On one side of where we live is the perfect light where God lives. On the opposite side, we see total darkness where evil resides. Somewhere in between these extremes, we human beings live out our days in that twilight. And that is the reality that John lays out for us in his little epistle. He tells us first that God is light. In God, there is no darkness at all. If we claim that we're walking in fellowship with God and yet our deeds are filled with darkness, he says we lie and do not live by the truth. But neither can we claim to walk so perfectly with God that we never sin, can we? In verse 8, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he repeats this idea saying, if we claim we are not sinners, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So on the one hand, we cannot walk with God and continue to practice a life of sin. But on the other hand, try as we might, we never completely eliminate the darkness from our lives. We're always in need of God's grace and forgiveness. Welcome to the twilight zone. John begins his description of living in the twilight by claiming a source for his authority and giving us the reason he's writing this. Christ, who was at the beginning with God, is the one that John claimed to have heard with his own ears and seen with his own eyes, and touched with his own hands. Jesus is the word of life which we proclaim, said John. John's authority is that he was a witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His reason for writing was to make his own joy complete by bringing all of us into a deeper understanding of the faith. And it is indeed very incomplete of us to leave, uh, to leave the good news to ourselves. We don't have full joy when we do that. But it is a sense of complete joy that we feel when we pass the good news on to someone else. Then John tells us about God's nature. He says God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. Again, I remind you that that is a symbolic use of the word light and darkness. Uh, those words are being used metaphorically. And that's important to remember. Children have a hard time with metaphors like that. I remember being a six-year-old, and I got very confused in Sunday school and went home and asked my parents to explain to me. My Sunday school teacher referred to Jesus as the light of the world and the Son of God. I thought she meant the S-U-N of God and that Christmas was when the sun started shining in the sky. I've always been very bright like that. But what, God, uh, what John is trying to tell us is that God is totally good when it says he is light. God is totally good. He is goodness. And just as light has a way of illuminating every dark place, so does God's goodness create 
goodness in everything that it touches, including our lives. It is such a good thing for us to remember that God is perfect in his goodness always toward us. There is a refrain that you will hear in various Methodist meetings from church to church. I think I first of all heard it at Salkahatchee camp. A leader will stand up and before talking will say something like, God is good. And all the people will respond, all the time. And then the leader says, all the time. And the people respond, God is good. Let's see if you can do that. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. You see, we never have to wonder about God's attitude toward us. God is not capricious, changing from day to day, like some of the ancient pagans believed about their deities. God is the same always, and he doesn't try to trip up his children one day so that he can build them up the next. God does not try to manipulate us into various decisions. He is goodness personified, and he leads us to the truth. We can tell that we're growing in God's likeness if goodness toward others is something that we strive to consistently give out every day that we live. Perhaps it's a good place to remind you all of some words of John Wesley, words that one of the Sunday school classes uh, has been studying in recent weeks, the Kamek class. John Wesley said that Christians should do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. We're called to activities of goodness in the name of God. God is good all the time, and we're called to be like our good Father. Then John tells us something else about the twilight that we live in. Since God is perfectly good, we humans cannot succeed in this Christian life if we throw goodness away and spend our time on evil activities. We cannot expect to have any meaningful relationship with God who is light if we are those who go about practicing acts of darkness. If we think we can, then we're lying to ourselves. That's pretty tough talk coming from the Bible, isn't it? We are deceiving ourselves if we think that God's forgiving nature means that God isn't troubled by our sin. Any loving parent is greatly troubled by the misbehavior of his or her child. We want the best for our children, and the same is true with God. God is light and God is forgiving, but he's troubled by our evil deeds. And like any good parent, he comes to correct us. It is not possible for us to walk in darkness and to think that we have fellowship with the light. One of the joys of life right now for, for Penny and me is, uh, we've been doing this about a half a year, I guess, already, sifting through 40 years' worth of accumulated junk at the parsonage. Who would have thought that two children could have so many boxes of stuffed animals Give me a break. How many rabbits, Easter bunnies, can you have? Uh, but we've also got old papers from all over and notes from people that, of churches that we used to be at and, and articles uh, from people we know back from our college days. We're throwing away what we can, but the hardest thing to throw away are the notes from our children, especially those that that come to us or came to us at a very uh, a special moment in our parenting. We found one just the other day from our son, John, who himself is about to become a father uh, most any day now. But this note was addressed from John to his mother, apologizing to her for some childish behavior. You see, John used to get very upset about everything very easily and loudly. 
his older sister Hillary would see that look in his eyes and she would try to warn us about the impending emotional eruption by shouting, incoming. <laughs> that meant mom, dad, take cover. But when John got to be about 10 or 11, he must have seen himself one day through his own eyes and decided he didn't want to be like that anymore. And he made a conscious decision to change. After that decision, whenever he did lose his temper, he would come back later, uh, later, <laughs> later with a letter of apology or else he would stand and make a speech telling us pretty much the same thing every time. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. That behavior does not reflect the kind of person I'm trying to become. Our son knew that he couldn't continue walking in darkness of childlike behavior if he was feeling this call to step up into the light of mature behavior. He really became a lot of fun to watch from that time on as he took charge of his own behavior. That's what John is telling us. God is light. God calls us upward toward the light. We cannot expect closeness with God unless we're willing to pray. God, I am very sorry. My recent behavior does not represent the person that I'm trying to be. But on the other end of the twilight zone is the mistaken idea that Christians never sin that we must somehow achieve absolute perfection or else we really aren't Christians. That too is an impossibility for us. Yes, we can't ignore the fact that God is calling us to sin less often, but we should not mistake that to mean that we have to be sinless. Anybody who thinks that they can be sinless also deceives himself, John said. John said, if we claim that we're sinless, then we not only deceive ourselves, but we also make God out to be a liar. John wants to be sure you and I understand that the call to goodness does not mean that we will always be perfect, because we won't be. There have been far too many churches throughout history that have gotten this wrong, who have excommunicated members of their church for various small infractions of the rules. I served in Edgefield some years ago and read in the minutes of the quarterly conference of 1840-something that uh, the Methodist church there in Edgefield threw out a man from their membership because this man had criticized another man for wearing a feather in his hat. Now that's strict rules, you know. <laughs> John wants us to understand that as long as we're on earth, we will be subject to human frailties. But we also have a remedy when we fall into sin's trap. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. While we walk with God, we cannot intentionally keep one foot in light while the other one is in darkness and hope to find any spiritual success. But as we strive to be good, even as God is good, we will nevertheless fail at times and need God's forgiveness. John promises us that God's forgiveness is always available to us when we need it. In fact, he says, we have a lawyer, an advocate, in Jesus Christ, who speaks to God in our defense. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Back in the 16th century, Protestant reformer Martin Luther had his own way of describing this twilight in which we live. He described Christians as simultaneously saint and sinner. That is, saint and sinner at the very same time. When I was at the Lutheran seminary, I learned that this slogan was very, very important to Lutheran Christians uh, because the both-and statement there expresses who we are in God's eyes. Luther called us saints 
not because we'd achieved perfection, but rather because our sins have been atoned for by God's grace. And we've been set apart from sin, and that's what makes us saints. But sin never totally leaves us. We're always in need of repentance and forgiveness, and therefore we saints also remain sinners. We're always saints, forgiven by God, but we're always sinners in need of repenting and in need of forgiveness. That's a good description of life for us in twilight, I think. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continues to purify us from all sin. Amen.